Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in opening them to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, as we study the Word together. As I said earlier, today is Palm Sunday, this beautiful day where we can remember the week leading up to the most significant events in all of human history. It's why we're here. It's why we have hope. It's why we have joy. And so I love this Sunday. And today we're going to study what it's really all about. And the title of today's message is Hosanna, Salvation is Here. I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life, in my driving career, where I have needed a little bit of saving. Um, I haven't always been so good with not locking my keys in the car, and uh, so that requires some help at times. I can remember once I was in high school, and my dad was a pretty strict enforcer of curfew. In fact, he was the dad who liked to hide in different places of the house, so I thought if I was sneaking in, like I had made it in okay, and I would flip on the light, and ah, there he was. It was terrifying, and um, so he, you know, never minded Uh, enforcing it by the minute. So if I was supposed to be home at 10 o'clock, just me by nature wanted to be home at 10 minutes and 30 seconds. And so if I could get in before 10.01, I was usually okay. But there was one night in particular, it was a school night, and I had been hanging out with some friends and just totally, totally lost track of time, just as an extrovert, having fun and just never looked down at the clock. And um, I had ridden with a group of people to our destination, and my car was parked at a park and ride. I'm not sure if you have those here, but we did. And so I didn't get back to my car until 30 minutes after curfew. And so I'm like sneaking up to my car, and I'm like, dude, I'm totally dead. I go to reach for my keys and realize, I don't have my keys. Where are my keys? And I look inside, and I'm like, there are my keys. So my friend had already pulled away, um, and so I was standing alone in a parking lot thinking, well, I could just make a run for it and leave the country, or call my dad and face the consequences. So I called dad. Um, Hello, dad, I'm here um, about 15 minutes away, and I locked my keys in my car. Okay, he hung up, and I was like, what is he doing? He's plotting my death. Um, And so he just shows up in the car and uh, unlocks my door, just like it was normal, just like it was like a normal time of day. And he's like, there you go. And I was like, thanks. And he hops in the car and he drives home and he goes to bed and he never mentioned it again. And I was like, yes, salvation is here. There was another time when I was younger, when my mom had taken me to the orthodontist And um, I had just gotten this wonderful contraption called headgear. Some of you have had the privilege. Yes, I can see with your beautiful straight smiles and your lack of overbite. You've had that too. Um, And so we were together. My mom and I both were locked out of the car. That's where I got it from. And (laughs) instead of calling someone to save us, I thought, I can save us. I can pick this lock. What should I use? I know my headgear. And so I take the end... (laughs) of this newly, freshly purchased appliance. And I shoved it into the door lock of my mom's Nissan. And 30 minutes later, after the locksmith came and unlocked the rest of the doors, we drove home with that $800 appliance sticking out of the door of the car. And the point is this, is we make a mess of saving ourselves. 
sometimes we have to call out for true salvation. And that is our reminder today of what it means to truly have a Savior. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. It is a joyous, wonderful celebration because we all need saving. And to the glory of God, our Savior has come. Let me give you a little background from today. Uh, Just leading up to this text in John chapter 12, we've already seen that the author of life himself, Jesus, has stepped out of heaven. We see that in John chapter 1. He was the ruler, the creator, and yet he became flesh and dwelt among us. There was never a moment in time when Jesus didn't know all things. There was always a point when he was sustaining all things. He was always the power of heaven and earth. And in humility... He humbled himself to be bound by humanity, to understand our weaknesses, but never to be held by them. There was already a career that Jesus had been walking around earth. He had been doing miracles. He walked on water. He healed the sick. And then the event that just captured the idea of the city and the area in ancient Jerusalem. He raised Lazarus to life. It was groundbreaking. And that's where we learn that Jesus never came just to make bad people better. It was always his mission to raise the dead back to life. And Lazarus was a special case because he had been notably dead, dead for three days. He was cold in the ground. He was wrapped up. He was prepared for burial. He had really been forsaken by the world. And Jesus found him and raised him to life. And at this moment, I mean, you cannot overstate the electricity around Jesus right now. He's an absolute rock star. If he wanted to raise an army and overtake the government, he could have. In fact, that's what so many people expected him to do. But Jesus had plans to usher in a new kingdom, one that would never, ever fade. And it was all leading to the moment we're reading right now in John chapter 12, beginning in verse nine. The Bible says this. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, and not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. It's amazing, the testimony of a resurrected life, amen? Verse 12 says this, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your kingdom is, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done the sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. I love that because when the world truly sees who Jesus is, they can't help but fall in love. And so the enemy can never steal the glory of Christ. All he can do is to distract, to diminish, to confuse, and to dilute the message of Christ. But the minute we allow Jesus to be Jesus, lives begin to change. What a call. What a call. And so today we stand boldly to proclaim this good news of Jesus 
of this Savior. Hosanna. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. So much joy today, God, as we study this work, as we look at a world that so badly needs saving, realizing that you always had a plan. You never were willing to forsake us. And here you are. Here you are, Jesus, our risen King. Let us understand this word today. Let it just uh, give us joy in our hearts. Let it fill us up like a spring of life that it overflows into the lives around us. God, we need you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. There's a couple of things that we see in this passage that I would love for you to see today. And the first is this, is that we often seek fulfillment instead of true salvation. We often seek fulfillment instead of true salvation. And we really see this happening in the biblical text, in the narrative truth of what's going on. We see a crowd of people who are waving palm branches to the risen king. And if you want to picture this, a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go to Israel. It was incredible. And um, I really found that the geography of Israel is not a whole lot different than the geography of Portland. So you've kind of got like this, you know, bustling city and then around it surrounded by hills. So Andrea and I, we just uh, a couple months ago moved to the Northwest Hills and um, it's kind of geographically a lot like the Mount of Olives where Jesus did a lot of his ministry where we, he hung out on a, on a regular basis. And I can remember when I was in Israel, I got to stand at the top of the Mount of Olives and walk this um, path down towards the city of Jerusalem. And it's really, honestly, not a whole lot different than being on the top of the Northwest Hills and making your way down Burnside. So super similar, if you want to have a biblical experience today, uh, go up to the Northwest 23rd and head up and then just walk right back down. And uh, that's kind of what was happening. And the people in Israel were just overjoyed with electricity and excitement over this king. They were caught up in the wave. Just so excited by the story of Jesus who raised dead people to life. They were waving branches. But the great irony, perhaps the great tragedy in this narrative, is that just a few days later, these very same people who are waving palm branches shouting Hosanna would be waving their fists shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The first reason we know is because of prophecy, because people didn't need an exciting celebrity, they needed a sacrificial savior. But I also think that sometimes we can be a lot like those folks. We get really excited about things that are happening around us. And I don't know this for sure. We don't see this in, um, spelled out for us. But as we're looking at the narrative behavior of the people in this context, maybe they wanted another trick. Maybe they wanted to see another resurrection, another show. Maybe they wanted to see something good, another relative healed. And by the way, there's nothing small about a physical healing. If you've ever dealt with a chronic illness and chronic pain, there's nothing simple about healing and there's nothing wrong with desiring healing. So these are not bad things to want. And maybe sometimes we're a lot like the folks in this passage. Maybe sometimes we would rather short-term, immediate fulfillment than true, lasting salvation. But Jesus shows us that he came to bring the real thing. And he came to show us that his real love is sacrificial and his real love satisfies forever. We know in the immediate context that the Jews 
the reason there was so much political upheaval, the reason you see commentary about the religious leaders at this time commenting on Jesus and seeking to silence him is because Jesus, by his own work, was creating all kinds of political upheaval. Because there was a certain group of Jewish people that wanted deliverance from a very specific thing right then. They wanted deliverance from the Roman government. In fact, Jesus' disciples throughout his ministry would continue to ask him, when are you going to take over? When are you going to throw these guys out? When are you going to like rule, come in, not on a donkey, but on a stallion? When are you going to throw these guys out and put us in power again? And Jesus' consistent message could be summarized like this. You are thinking too small. You are thinking too small. I'm not just going to deliver you from them. I'm going to deliver you from everything forever. Because that's who I am. How about us? As I reflect on my own life, what do I do? Am I really seeking treatment for temporary symptoms or a deep and lasting cure for my soul. Jesus is not just our source of entertainment and comfort, enjoyment and fulfillment. Although Jesus can give all of those things, those are not the point. Don't get caught up in the wrapping paper and miss the gift because Jesus is your source of salvation. And in order to be saved, we must first admit that we need saving that we need saving. Jesus, here I am, and I need you. He is the water of life, and in order to drink, you must admit that you're thirsty. And once you do, he invites you freely. Come and drink, come and drink, come and drink, and I will put a fountain inside of you, a spring that will never run dry, and nothing will ever be sweeter. There's a second thing that we see in this. I love this. From the beginning, God promised that true salvation would come in a simple way. True salvation would come in a simple way. See, for history, people had been working out their own salvation. They're like me in the headgear, trying to pick the lock and making a mess of it all along the way. People were creating rigorous laws for themselves to keep, systems to uphold, festivals to participate in. They would find complicated ways to try to get the attention of a distant deity. But from the beginning, God said, you're never strong enough to come to me. But because I love you, I have to come to you. God always promised that true salvation would come in a simple way, and we see that so beautifully in this text. So let's take a minute to understand it. Let's look back at John 12, verse 14. The Bible says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Today, as I was driving down Burnside, you know, making my descent from the Portland Mount of Olives, I was driving my 2002 Toyota 4Runner, and I thought to myself, this is like the modern day equivalent of a donkey. <laughs> Just a nice, simple, is it gonna make it kind of vehicle. Um, Jesus took great care to find this donkey. Matthew's gospel gives us some of the backstory. In Matthew 21, verse one says, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I was thinking about Jesus, the author of life, the king of heaven and earth, trotting down this hill on a donkey. 
And I wondered why. Why hundreds of years of prophecy would say this is such a specific and special way that the king would begin his greatest work, the greatest work of all, entering Holy Week. Uh, I was thinking back to one of my favorite movies growing up, the movie Aladdin. Perhaps you've seen it. In the story, there's a young man who makes a wish to a genie to become a prince. And since he's not a true prince, the genie, instead of changing his heritage and creating him, um, making him a true noble, he just made a big show of it. So there's this song, hey, clear the way in the old bazaar. Get your own soundtracks. I'm not singing the whole thing for you. But it's this huge parade and an amazing theatrical number preceded with all of the trappings of what the earth considers to be royal. Why do they have to put on a show? Because there was nothing real there. There was never a moment when Jesus wasn't the real thing. There was never a moment when he stopped being the architect of humanity and the orchestrator of the very winds. There was never a moment when Jesus wasn't the builder of mountains and the ruler of oceans and the speaker of life. There was never a moment when Jesus wasn't the one who could lay down his life only to take it back up again. When we think of this Jesus, it puts everything into perspective. I meet people all of the time who think they're too much for God. But as we look at this Jesus, we ask the question, do you really think your sin is too great for his blood? Do you really think your weakness is too bad for his power? Do you really think your shame is too mighty for his grace or that your past is greater than his future? Nonsense. Your junk might be heavy, but it could never, ever, ever outweigh his love. There was never a moment, never a moment when he wasn't the one who would be seated at the right hand of glory with eyes blazing like a flame of fire, feet of burnished bronze worshiped by millions. There was never a moment when his name stopped being the name that caused every demon to shudder. And in his kingdom, in his kingdom, the Bible says, he will ride in on a white stallion. And there was never a moment when he stopped pursuing you. And so in our little broken kingdom, he could ride in on a donkey because he, when he promised, when he was promised, that's how God said he would come. And that simple action reinforced his exquisite divinity. Zephaniah 9.9, the prophecy is where it came from. Behold, your king is coming to you. I was reflecting how this invites us to dismiss the cheap, temporary trappings of this world. The cheap, temporary things that impress those in this kingdom. And just like Jesus, forsake them for the glorious divinity of the kingdom that will come. There's a third thing that we see. That true salvation invites us to freedom and joy. True salvation invites us to freedom and joy. And that's where we get this idea, this word, Hosanna. Hosanna. God is the greatest promise maker of all time, yes? Makes some wonderful, beautiful promises. In Isaiah 61, he says he'll bind up the brokenhearted, give freedom to the captives. What? What kind of God is that? You mean you don't just have to be strong for him all of the time to impress him? You can actually bring God your weakness and he will meet you where you are and love you. 
You mean you can come to God in your bondage and he will set you free? What kind of promise is this? In Deuteronomy, it says that he is a God who will never leave or forsake you as we walk through a world filled with betrayal, as we ourselves betray a loving God. He himself promises unending, unceasing faithfulness. What promises are these? He promises to bring a new kingdom free from suffering, evil, death, and hate. These are great promises, but they're only good if God is not just the greatest promise maker. He also has to be the great promise keeper. And Jesus is the answer and fulfillment to God's promises. Jesus is the one that when you find him, you find everything. And that is the glory. That's why we celebrate. That's why we hear this message and we can't hold the joy in and we shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna. This passage today is soaked in prophecy, just soaked. It's not just about a man wandering down a mountain on a donkey. It's about a king coming to his people like centuries of prophecy said he would. The palm branches themselves were a messianic signal. This would have been quite a scene. And that word Hosanna, it's a Greek word that comes directly from a Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana. comes from Psalm 118.25, a beautiful passage speaking to this coming savior. In the passage itself, it says, save please. Save, please. And then Psalm 118, 26 says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine on us. And as we break down a fuller understanding of the word Hosanna, let me read you what one commentator wrote by the name of John Piper. He says this, the meaning Hosanna, it changed over the years. In the Psalm, it was immediately followed by the exclamation we just read, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for help was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouths. And over the centuries, the phrase Hosanna stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exultation. It used to mean save, please. But gradually it came to mean salvation has come. Salvation has come. Isn't that our message to a weary world? Salvation has come, and his name is Jesus. Let us praise. Let us celebrate. Let us soak in this message. Let us admit to God where we need saving. Let us pray for a world that is broken, knowing we are not hopeless, knowing we have a founded hope, knowing we have a savior and salvation has come. Hosanna, praise Jesus, praise the risen king. I'm gonna ask for Paul to come and begin playing quietly. And while we do, I wanna give you a moment just to reflect. I wonder today what your story is with Jesus. I wonder if you've caught yourself in the trap before of thinking that what you're dealing with is more than what he can handle. Reflect rather on a king who can usurp all the trappings of this world because he doesn't need them. He can ride a donkey because he created it and everything else, the very land he's walking on. There was never a moment when he wasn't powerful enough to spin the cosmos. There was never a moment when he stopped wanting you. 
Have you fallen into the trap of thinking your stuff is too much? There is nothing, 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 nothing you could ever deal with that your Savior can't save you from if your Savior is Jesus. This world is filled with cheap imitations, counterfeits, and maybe you've been let by, down by them before. But if you find Jesus, you will find the one who is faithful. You will find the one who is mighty. And you will have the joy of shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, my salvation, my deliverer, my savior has come. Just sit in his presence for a moment this morning. Is there a sin that you need to confess? Is there a need that you need to lay before him? Is there a person that you need to pray for their salvation, for their Hosanna? Just take a moment and connect with God. Meditate on this King. You didn't have to go up to the mountain. No, 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 no. He came down to you. And he meets you where you are today. Would you find him? I wonder if there's anybody in the room that you've never really given everything to Jesus. You've never given everything to him. This one that laid down his life to pay for your sins. This one who rose from the grave so that you can have hope forever. Maybe today is the day you turn everything over to Jesus. In the quietness of this moment, repent in your heart. Turn from your old ways and invite Jesus to be your savior. If that's you today, the Bible says he'll come in your life and you'll never be the same. And today could be your Hosanna. What are you waiting for? If that's you, find me after the service. Find one of our leaders. We'd love to talk with you. Love to pray with you on what it really means to be a disciple, to follow him in baptism, to follow him in growing in the Lord. It's a gorgeous experience and you never, ever, ever have to do it alone. And that's why we're here. Let me pray for you, you precious people, you beloved by God. Jesus, I ask for a blessing and favor on the people in this room today. I ask that your spirit would open hearts and eyes and lives, that you would fill us with a joy of the proclamation, of the declaration of Hosanna. I pray that that would be the prayer of our hearts this week and the message on our mouths this week, that we would be filled with joy that you have come. Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. Thank you that you've arrested death itself. Jesus, we praise you. We love you and we give our lives to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's worship you. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.